Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. All right, and tonight's message is entitled, The Power of the Family. And so it's not, some of the stuff might be repetitious, but for the most part, it's just me expressing my heart uh, and what God placed in my heart concerning the family. So with that, let's go ahead and dismiss the children. And uh, as they make their way to Sunday school, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We exalt your name. We lift you up on high. God, it is because of you that we're here tonight, Father. We love you, Lord. There's no better place to be than in your house, hearing your word, praising your name, Father. We ask you, God, to speak through me tonight. Minister to the hearts of your people, to the saints of God, Father. Bless your church, O oh Lord. We give you thanks and we love you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. So who created the family? Let's see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruit. No, start in verse 26. Very good. We got to praise God for the media team back there, the sound booth. They are amazing, especially the way we do things here, and they're on point. So we love uh, what they do, and we praise God for them. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Let's stop there. So right there is your answer. God created the first family. God created family, period. And so that's what we need to understand here tonight before we can continue to talk about this thing, family. And so we were blessed to see this movie, um, Incorruptible. Who was here to see that? Man, I was super blessed. The ministry focused on the family so many years. James Dobson and what he does, and I believe he just came out with a new book called Legacy. Something along the lines of Legacy. Um, what an amazing ministry. It's all about the family. But that movie, Incorruptible, this young man, irreplaceable, I'm sorry, irreplaceable. I get twisted with those words. I was trying to remember the name of it. Irreplaceable? Irreplaceable. Um, we were blessed to see the movie, and this young man has a family. I believe he had five children, and he's traveling all over the world trying to find answers um, that had to do with the family. So when we see that God created the family in Genesis 1.26, we see that God created Adam from the dust of the earth and saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. Then he caused Adam into a deep sleep and formed woman. This is when the first family was created. So it's fair to say that God created family. So then if we're going to do this thing called family, why are people trying to do, why are, are people trying to do God's family or trying to do this thing called family without God's instruction manual? 
God created family. And then, after he creates family, we human beings over the years have tried to bring our own perspective, our own thoughts, our own ideals on how we can have a successful family. And the truth is, it's like when you buy a bicycle for your kids, if, you're, if you have children, and it's the first bike you buy, and that thing comes with a gazillion bolts, nuts, screws, all these things, and us dads sometimes want to build the bike without looking at the instructions. And the wife is in the background pacing, scratching her head, saying, oh, Lord, here we go. This guy's going to attempt to build a bike without the instruction manual. And it takes the dad five times longer by trying to do it in his own strength, in his own intellect, instead of just looking in the instruction manual. And so I've learned over the years now, when we get, we don't get pieces like that anymore, but when we did in the past, after the first couple of years, I'm like, give me the instructions. I don't want to waste my whole Christmas morning building a bike. Okay, I'm done doing that. Or I'll just pay the 50 bucks at wherever and let them build it because I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Um, it's the same thing. We have the instruction manual, people, to do this thing called the family. And it's very detailed, it's very precise, and there's no reason to go outside of the box. But that's what the world has done. That's what people have done. People have rose up trying to say that there could be mom and mom raising a kid. Or dad and dad. Or single parent. Some have no choice to end up in that situation. But it's twisted on what people's perspective is of the family. The dictionary, by way of definition... Um, the word family, is a group of persons who form a household under one head, including parents, children, and servants. That's God's definition, or the dictionary's definition of family, which is a pretty good definition. You would say, okay, Webster had a good idea of what the family would be. It's a group of persons. It says persons. It doesn't specify man or woman, who form a household under one head, okay, there should be somebody in charge, including parents. Okay, yeah, there should be parents there if there's children, then children, and then servants, whatever that means. So people look this up if they're interested in to find out what a family is, and they see this definition. How many of you would like to know what God's definition is of family? Well, I did you the favor, and I looked it up, and we'll see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And I'm excited about this word because we're going to have a good time tonight sharing it. We're going to participate. We're going to get engaged in what God wants to teach us tonight. But here it is, Ephesians 2.19. And I'm sure there's other verses that can, defined, that can define family, and we'll get into those later. But here it is. This is the one that stood out for me. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How many of you know that God has placed you in a family? Once you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Once you accept, accepted Jesus into your, as your Savior into your heart. You see, I was not fortunate enough to grow up with a complete family. I grew up with something called a dysfunctional family. How many of you heard that word before? Dysfunctional family. It's very common. And so for me, growing up with a mom that worked three jobs having no dad, for me, I never knew what it was to sit at a table, have dinner, have dad come home, pray for the food, 
um, kind of the blessings and the privileges that we here at church now today, most of us enjoy and our kids enjoy. Praise the Lord for that. Thank God. Um, but see, like most of you, when God came and for the first time as a young adult, 1920, he came and started knocking at the door of my heart. And he said, Joey, I could be your father. I could be your dad. I can put you in a family. I can put you in a house called my family. I could adopt you into the family. I could graft you into the vine. I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, I was just happy to hear the word family. I'm like, really? Family? I'm in. So I got invited to a church. I showed up broken, wild, not having any direction, not knowing what the embrace of a dad was. And the little bit that I knew about my mom, the little bit that she was home because she had to work a lot to make ends meet. Um, I show up to the house of God and God embraces me and he gives me a vision. He gives me a dream. He shows me his love through the body of Christ. I started to receive a hug for the first time. I was told, I love you. I was told, I'm proud of you. I was told, you can do it. I was told, so how was your day today? And I'm like, is this real? I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is what I've been looking for. I didn't even know this existed, man. Can this be for real? And God was like, yes, this is for real. And then shortly after, man, I meet a wife. And I was taught that it's not good for man to be alone. So he brings you a helper, a perfect helpmate. And he brings me Suleika, my wife. And I'm like, praise the Lord. This is even, this gets better and better. Oh my goodness. And then it gets even better a couple years later. We have Joseph, our first son. And then we have Zoe. And then we, you know, then we start doing this thing called family but within the house of God. And as we look back at all of our pictures, our baptisms, our, our um, not baptisms, our um, baby showers. Yes, thank you, baby. I'm like charade up here. So baby showers, yes. You know who I see in those pictures? My dad's not there, at least biological. You know who's there? My family. You see Papi Ding behind the counter serving the Cokes. You see Julieta there um, talking to somebody in the corner. And Leanne and the family, Claudia and Jules were there. And the family is there. The people of God. That's our family. That's who we see in all, you look throughout the whole years, Omar, Leanne, all the years, our biggest events, birthdays, um, just Thanksgivings, Christmases. When I tell you that, Maria, you know what I'm talking about. When I tell you that this is our family, it's not that we're just saying, oh, the body of Christ, and we come here twice a week or three times a week, and we're just family. We took it literally, man. We don't understand the concept of we're just going to spend time with just our family today. And then later, me and Suleika are like, we don't understand. What does that mean? We are the family. That's how we see it. So when we come into this house and we see that God has brought us into a family, we started to understand. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. You no longer come home to an empty house. 
and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Some of you have embraced what I mean. Some of you haven't. But there's hope tonight. This is what we're going to talk about. We're going to, as I share with you my introduction, we're going to share with you tonight and try to bring you into the place and this phenomenon called family. When we look back at history of what the image of family was, it was very rare to see or hear the words divorce, separation, dysfunctional, etc. As I was growing up, I heard those words. Not as much as, I, as we hear now. It, it's gotten worse as I'm sure we can all agree, I'm talking about way back when. In the early 1900s, for instance, or in the late 1800s, if you do studies on arranged marriages, and um, even in the early 1900s, these things, they existed, but not like they do now. It's gotten so much worse and so more perverse that it's, 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 it's crazy to see what's taking place regarding this thing called family. But I wanted to share with you what, and most of the things are displayed through media, television, and, and, and that's how things are communicated, especially through the internet now. But let's watch when TV came out and it was popular and the American family would come home and they would all gather in the living room and watch TV. These are the types of programs, if we can get the lights really quick, I want you to see a small clip of what your typical American family looked like back then. Is that you, Beaver? Yes, Mom. Oh, Beaver, I see you're home. Yes, Dad. This is me that's home. <laughs> How was the movie? Well, I didn't go to the movie. You didn't go to the movie? No, sir. I went yesterday when I wasn't supposed to. Oh, is that so? Yes, sir, and I want a racing bicycle with a guaranteed leather seat, and I hid it at Larry's, and I was going to make believe like I wanted today, but I couldn't, so that's why I'm telling you what happened. Well, uh, when did you decide to tell us about it? When I was walking the bike home from Larry's. <laughs> yeah, Dad, it's too big for him to ride. Really? Well, Beaver, I'm glad you decided to tell us the truth. Of course, you realize you can't keep a bicycle you won while you were being disobedient, We'll have to find something to do with the bike. Larry and I already found something to do with it. Oh, you did? Yeah. I walked it back to Larry's house, and then Larry and I walked it down to a church. To a church? Yes, sir. Larry wants something to do with babies in a movie. Do what? We left it on the front steps with a note. Well, I just hope someone nice adopts it. Well, Beaver, I'm... I'm also very glad you realized you couldn't keep the bicycle. But there's still the matter of your being disobedient, isn't there? Yes, sir. Well, I think you'd better stay away from the movies for um, two weeks. Yes, sir. Hey, that was really something what he did, wasn't it, huh? It certainly was. You know, for a little kid like that, a lot of stuff sure goes on in his head. Leave it to Beaver. I remember watching some of those reruns, but come on. You have there a picture of black and white 
the pretty mom with her beautiful little dress on the couch, her legs folded like the first lady of the United States. You have the young man in the background with his hands in his pockets reading a book. Really? You have the, the, the father on his desk, you know, so tell me, son. And then the little boy walks in and he actually confesses something that he did wrong to his father. And then the father is saying, well, now there needs to be some sort of disciplinary action for your wrongdoing. And the whole family is all together, and the little boy confesses. He took the bike to a church. Come on. And he brought it. And then the dad says, well, that was good, son, but we still need to discipline you. So you're going to be punished from movies for two weeks. And so it showed how the kid got disciplined. It showed how mom and dad were united. It was a crispy, wholesome family. And so I see that, and I'm like, amazing right? The perspective of what family was back then as opposed to what it is now. Let me tell you something. You watch some of these Disney programs and you hear the way these kids talk to their parents. Duh! Shut up! Uh, and they act super... Okay, disrespect isn't even the word. Dishonor, grotesque. It makes me sick to my stomach when I watch those or I even hear of those programs. My kids are not allowed to watch those programs. That's just me. Why would you want your kids watching that poison? So it's amazing how things have changed. And we're going to see that later. But I just wanted to give you a quick perspective of how bad things have gotten. And we're going to see why in a second. So you see this nice household, the kid telling the truth. Everything looks great, doesn't it? Well, I want to tell you that when America was founded, it was founded on godly principles. So what has happened to the family? A lot has happened to the family since then. Our founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, how many of you know that the word God was mentioned five times? In fact, we shared a little bit of this with the college group on Saturday. We didn't so much talk about the family. We were talking more about something else. We were talking about then for them to make the difference and stand. And I'll mention that too. But let me just share with you, and I'm not going to read the whole Declaration of Independence. Don't worry. By the way, I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce half of the words, so we're good. But if I can just share with you really quick some of the places where it mentions the word God in the Declaration of Independence. It always amazes me when otherwise intelligent people are unable to find evidence of God in our governing documents. The Declaration of Independence, the signing of which we commemorate July 4th alone, has five references to God. Two in the first paragraph, one in the middle, and two in the last. So let me just paraphrase. It says, laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. That's the first place it mentions. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Next place it mentions God. Who is responsible for the laws of nature, but God, certainly not man, or um, na nature itself. Then we'll skip over and it says a bunch of other things. And it says, Nor it is one thing at Rome and another at Athens, one thing today and another tomorrow, but one eternal and unalterable law that binds all nations forever of nature, of nature's God the second reference to deity is one, of course, more explicit and needs no explanation. The third reference to God. 
is a word creator found in the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, which certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This bodily identified our base for at least three unalienable rights as God and the founders identified this truth as self-evident. So passionate, and then I'll skip some more. It says, so passionate were they with respect to these three God-given rights. Now we skip over, and here's where they mention it some more. Moreover, their right of revolution hinged upon the denial of these God-given rights. Listen to that for a second. God-given rights. Stay with me. I don't want to bore you. I'm reading the Declaration of Independence here, and I'm trying my best for you guys to stay engaged. But it's important that you understand that when these documents were written, this was the foundation of our country. You guys understand that? And so we're in trouble. We continue. Once again... An appeal to natural law, which animates from God, was noted that the loss of which always justifies revolution. The fourth and fifth references to God are found in the last paragraph. The righteousness of our cause was left to God as judge. Was left to God as judge. So they were saying that we're going to leave God and let him judge what takes place in our nation. We're going to make it that God is the authoritative figure. We're going to put God in the center of our nation and all the decisions that we make within the governing authorities. So if you do your research, and, and you know, the Bible says that our, um, the people of God are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. So it's important that we educate ourselves and understand how America was founded, why we're such a blessed nation, and why our nation is in dire straits and in big trouble now. And there's a reason for that. Would it be fair to say to you tonight, because God is being taken out of the equation? I'm going to prove it to you. So over the last years, starting in the 1960s, it's unfortunate for me to tell you that prayer, the Bible, and then the Ten Commandments were removed from the schools. The Supreme Court removed them. And this didn't just all happen at once. The series of events, people like you and me, ordinary people, not God-believing people, but non-believing people, that took something that may have mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Too bad these founding fathers weren't alive to justify what they really meant, where it says that God separated church from state. So they grabbed that, and that was their case. They took it to the Supreme Court, and they won. Why? Because they were united and Ed Cole says that where there's unity, there's power. That's why small groups of people, like the gay rights activists and all kinds of people, will come together, although being a small group, um, outnumbered. But if they come together in unity, they have a voice. They're powerful. The Christian people need to become a voice. They need to rise up and make a difference. And tonight, I want to stir up a gift in you. I want to stir the body of Christ up tonight. I want to be something called, like G.F. Watkins was here not too long ago, a catalyst 
to spark up that light so that you guys can be an explosion. Call who we have to call. To write a letter who we have to write it to. But something has to be done. And I know that a lot of these battles are won on our knees. And I know that we need to pray and we need to come together as the body of Christ. But here it is. In 1962, the law was passed that prayer would be removed from the body or the, the public school system. Prayer was removed from the public school systems in 1962. In 1963, a year later, they removed the Bible. So now we don't have prayer, and now we don't have the Bible in the public school system. It was allowed and it was legal to read the Bible and pray in the public schools before 1962 and 1963. In 1980, the Ten Commandments were then removed several years later, which is unfortunate and very sad. Since then, and this is sad, a sad statement to say, but it's a fact. Since then, there has been 25 mass murders related to students and young adults and schools. 25 mass murder have ha murders have happened since prayer, the Bible, and the Ten Commandments were removed from the public school system. I have two pages here of some of those mass murders. I'm not going to read them all 25, but I just want to read a couple that maybe some of them you'll remember from hearing CNN on um, national news. Timeline aired this. 32 people killed. Think good. How many people do you think are in this building? 50, 60 maybe? 32 people killed, okay? April 16, 2007, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, a gunman. 23 years old student saying who cho goes on a shooting spree killing 32 people in two locations and wounds an undetermined number of others on campus the shooter saying who cho then committed suicide what would prompt a 23 year old kid to do something so tragic and so devastating 23 years old next 27 killed december 14 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary. This is a little rough. An elementary school, people. Church, listen to me. This is a tragedy. This is why I have to stand up here and, 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 and we have to come to the place where we can understand that the family is in trouble and we are the ones that need to do something about it. So Sandy Hook Elementary, Newtown, Connecticut, Adam Lanza, 20, 20 years old. Guns down 20 children ages 6 and 7 and 6 adults, school staff and faculty, before turning the gun on himself. I'm only going to read a couple more because it's, you know, 13 killed. And most of you will remember this one. April 20th, 1999, Columbine High School, Littleton, Colorado. This shook the nation. I'll never forget. How many of you remember that? It was a tragedy. 18-year-old, 18, 18-year-old 18 Eric Harris and 17-year-old Dylan Klebold killed 12 fellow students and one teacher before committing suicide in the school library. And I'll just finish with one more. Nine killed March 21st, 2005, Red Lake High School, Red Lake, Minnesota. 16 year old 16 years old 
Jeff Weiss, kills his grandfather and another adult, five students, a teacher, and a security officer, and then kills himself. So, so I ask this question. Has our nation improved since we removed God from our schools? The answer is clearly no, right? Would you agree? So then I would love right now to be in front of the governing authorities, in front of the Senate or Congress, and ask this question. So you removed prayer, you removed um, the Bible, and you removed the Ten Commandments from the schools. How has that worked out for you? Should we applaud you now or no? So we need to propose that question. It would be fair to ask that question. Wouldn't you think? Or are we so caught up into these things of what they would like to call we're in a free country? Well, if someone is Muslim in class, we don't want to impose God and the Bible on them. We want to, you know, or what if they don't believe in God and their parents are raising them up to believe the earth is my friend. And if you talk to the grass, it'll become greener and nature. And I am going to go have a natural wheatgrass smoothie. All good things. However, these people, there's some flakes out there some flaky people aren't they and these people want to just give just i don't know we were created for worship everybody here was created to worship something and that's why we might as well choose the creator of the earth and the heavens and the first family which is our savior lord and jesus lord jesus christ and so the problem is the government is focused on the economy the war on terror etc what we need to pray for is to bring back God and the word of God into our schools. I remember, um, you know, just this Saturday, Pastor Kenny said, Joey, can you share the word on Saturday night? Because I want to go to my son's um, Matthew's first baseball game of the season. I said, sure, no problem. I would love to. So I brought this word, like I said, and I shared a couple things that I'm sharing with you tonight on Saturday and um, what I told them was, I said, guys, I challenge the young adults who will stand to make a difference. I told them to be a voice, an example, to take a stand, to write a letter, to pray, to get united as the family of Jesus Christ, to make a difference. And I said, like it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let's see that verse. 1 Timothy 4, 12. <clears throat> Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. As a matter of fact, these young adults are the ones that can be the voice to go and make a difference. That can do something for God. Because when you, it makes a difference when you're 22 or 19 or 18 writing a letter as opposed to a 50-year-old guy writing a letter. The youth, you guys have a voice. And I'm trying to encourage them to rise up and start taking a stand for it now. Don't wait. Like that movie, God's Not Dead. Awesome movie. That young man, who saw the movie? Um, have you ever been just random and all of a sudden you get the text, God's Not Dead? You're like, oh, they're watching God's Not Dead. Because in the end of the movie, it says, text everybody you know, God's Not Dead. Funny. Um, so what happens is, in the movie, I loved it, where this young man has a girlfriend. And the girlfriend... Um, tells the kid, she's like, hey, 
Come on. She's very ambitious. She's very determined, this young lady in the movie. And she's trying to convince her boyfriend. She's trying to tell him, hey, look, we have a plan. It's to get perfect grades. It's to graduate from college. And then it's to go and start our life together. And I'm like, wow, that sounds great. So then in this kid's class, in the movie, he gets challenged by the professor. The first day of class, the professor says, everybody write on this paper, God is dead, and then sign your name. Well, when it got to this young man, he just could not do it. He's like, I'm not going to say that. I'm a Christian. I believe that God is alive. He's not dead. The girlfriend got super upset, and she started to tell him, man, just sign the paper. Just do it. How are you not going to sign the paper? Come on. You're causing waves for nothing. We have to stick to the plan. You need, you're going to get an F, and you're going to flunk, and it's just going to delay our plans. And the kid's like, wait a second. How can you tell me to sign up, write a paper that says God is dead and then sign it? That's not going to happen. So part of that movie, it ended up where the guy was like, look, I'm not going to do it. Therefore, you and I can't be together. That was the best part of the movie. That's when I told the guy, listen, dude, if I was, if I was that guy's friend or his parents, I'd be like, buy this girl a ticket for the train and send her on it quick and run for your life because this is not the girl for you my friend if you're going to be with anybody or engage with anybody that calls themselves a christian and wants to say that god is dead and then sign it that is not the character of christ that is not what god is calling us to do as a people so that part of that movie you know really stood out to me and this young man took a stand for christ and if you saw it, you know, go see the movie. But that's one of the things I was encouraging the young people, that they need to rise up and make a difference. Often people have asked me, Joey, what political party are you? What political party are you with? And I told them, I'm with the party that hates what God hates and love, loves what God loves. I'm not going to stand for anything that God is against. And that's the party that we need to be a part of. We can't not get engaged in things that are not pleasing to the Lord. But wait, we're going to dig in now a little deeper. Now's when we're starting to throw out the bait. Now's when we're going a little deeper. And now's when we're going to start to get some bites like I mentioned earlier. So stay with me. I gave you a little history. I know that sometimes people don't like history and they get a little bit bored. But listen, we need to understand what the family is, what God intended for the family, and how the family is under attack. And what we can do as a body of Christ to make it better. Now I just want to mention this really quick. That by me saying what I'm saying about the government. And the president or whatever. Is not that I'm going against um, our governing authorities. Or that I'm dishonoring them. Or in any way. As a matter of fact I want to turn to First Peter chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. Let's understand this as the body of Christ so that we don't lose what I'm trying to explain to you tonight. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 14. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. God has called us to honor authority. Whether we agree with them or not sometimes. 
We're not called to go against godly principles and go against the word of God, but we're called to pray for the government. We're called to pray for the president of the United States. We're called to pray that God will give them wisdom to do the right thing. We're not called to dishonor, talk bad about them, and dishonor them. We're called to honor them. I want to make that clear for everybody to understand that. Tonight I'm pointing out to you that there is a huge problem with the family. And the answer is in Jesus. And we as the family of God have a responsibility to send that message and pray. Let's see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. For kings and, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in awe, godliness, and reverence. We're called to pray. We have a responsibility to pray for the government. Over the years, we have seen how through TV and media, this concept of family has been corrupted. It's been corrupted so bad that I've been amazed that sometimes when we're watching TV and I'm seeing how some of the little kids are watching the Disney channel or whatnot, they see the programs and they see some things that are on TV that I can't believe that the parents are not aware of what they're watching. How um, the family has been um, demolished, how it's been attacked. And so I want you to see this one last clip to take a good look. If your kids have ever seen this program, well, now you know. Let's watch this really quick so we can see what I'm talking about. Macklemore's performance at the Grammys wasn't the only nod towards same-sex marriages. That night, Disney made their own statement featuring its first ever same-sex marriage on the show Good Luck Charlie. Very big and good step for Disney. In the episode, Bob and Amy Duncan playfully bicker over the real name of one of their daughter's friend's mom. Amy says the mom's name is Susan, Bob remembers it as Cheryl. Lo and behold, they were both right, as the playmate has two mommies. Charlie, honey, you ready for your playdate? Yay! Who's coming over? Taylor. I invited her parents, too. So we're all having a playdate? Oh, honey, this one is actually going to be fun. I met the mom, Susan. She's really nice. Oh, I met her. Uh, I thought her name was Cheryl. No, it's Susan. Are you sure? Am I sure that I'm right and you're wrong? Always. <laughs> Okay, that must be done. Hi! Taylor! <laughs> hi, Susan! Hi. Amy, this is Taylor's other mom, Cheryl. Oh, hi. hi! This is my husband, Bob. Hey, nice to meet you. Come on in, come on in. Taylor has two moms. <laughs> Nothing gets past you, Bob. <laughs> Love how nonchalantly they handled this. Courageous way to end not just the season, but the series. Because, very sadly, the grand finale for the hit show airs the 16th of February. So let us know what you think of Disney's inclusion of gay parents on the show. Yay or nay? I say yay. And for sure, check out our new show called Totally Clever and it is totally funny. I'm Miriam Issa. Tweet me your thoughts or leave your comments below, but not before subscribing to your number one news source for all things entertainment clever. Wow. Yep, that's what our kids, supposedly, Disney Channel, Mom, can I watch TV? Yeah, honey, don't worry. 
just watch for half an hour and then you have no clue what they're watching. That's what's being put on the Disney Channel. Crazy. Hey, listen. We need to educate our kids. We need to say, no, you're not going to watch that. Well, why? If they're too young to explain, well, then use wisdom and explain to them when you feel the right time is. But for right now, they're just going to have to take your word, no. And the ones that are old enough, yes, do, please do explain. Because that right there is a tragedy. That's what um, the world is trying to desensitize us from. We're trying to make it very common where mommy and mommy, same-sex marriages, and that's been happening now for years already, guys, and it's getting worse. And you, you see how the lady was saying, well, didn't they do a great job on how they kind of just squeezed that in there? See how she said that? She said, we subtly put it in. It was very subtle, but didn't they do a great job? So what do you think, yay or nay? And she's encouraging everybody to say, yay, go for it. Yes, vote for it. No, don't fall for it. And who's going to say something contrary to that? That God did not intend for that to happen. And so these are the types of things that I just want you to be aware of that are taking place not only at the adult scale or the adult platform, but it's happening to our, they're trying to put that into our children. They're trying to instill that to our kids so that when they get older, well, that's normal. Well, that's, we're used to that already. We saw that on Good Look Charlie where the little girl had two mommies. That's normal. It's not normal. That is not what God intended. Notice the difference. Leave it to Beaver. That was the programs back then. And now that. Big difference, isn't there? People often ask, why do me and Suleika spend so much time and why do we care for those who don't have fathers or mothers? And I tell them, because I was simply one of them. That's where I came from. So I have a burden for those who, who don't have dads that are around. I have a burden to give back to those how it was given to me, how my Heavenly Father embraced me. Now I have something to give because I've I, I received. I couldn't give if I've never received. And the same thing with these little girls, Sulega, the same. We both come from broken homes like many of you. So you guys know what I'm talking about. But if we come together in unity, we can make a difference in unity. Like we come every Friday. It's not just coming here on Friday, guys, and talking to the kids for an hour or a couple hours. That's not what it's about. Yeah, we preach. We have a good time. We eat. We, we fellowship. We try to keep the church in order because we have like 80 little kids running all over the place, which is a challenge. You guys know how your kids are. They're very well behaved and they don't mess anything up, So, including mine. So we all try to keep them together. No, but... Listen, we're doing the best we can with what we have in, in, in terms of this beautiful church building and that we're super blessed to have. But what I'm saying is it happens outside these walls when on a Saturday one of the kids wants to hang out. And instead of contemplating being on the video game all day long, try picking one up and going and playing basketball with them or going to the park and riding some bike or going out to eat something and just typically just hanging out. And we haven't just been doing this for a couple of years. We've been doing this for years, years and years. We've been engaged in this concept with orphans and young kids and families and young people. And to us, it's been a tremendous blessing. And not only that, but I could remember very clearly when I was lost and broken and even in my Christian walk, 
God has broken me time and time again to only then later find out what a blessing during those moments that I've been broken time and time again. It's made me learn more about what a family is. It's made me learn more about forgiveness. It's made me learn more about love. It's made me learn how to be a better communicator um, within the family of Christ. That's why often men come to us broken when they need marriage counseling. And it's because these men don't know how to communicate with their wives. They don't know how to act with their children because they've never been taught. And so Suleika and I have to teach 60, 70, 80 year old men how to be husbands, how to be fathers, how to be grandfathers because they don't know. So we've been fortunate enough to learn these things at a young age and to then now give back to those who don't have. But what we need to understand is that God gave me something called a mulligan. And that's a second chance. God gave me a chance when I didn't deserve it. He gave me a chance to be a part of a fam to be part of a family when I didn't even know that a family existed. It's called a mulligan, which in the golf uh, it's a golf term, which means when you mess up a shot and you miss, you can take a mulligan, which means the first shot never counted. It's like as if you never took it and it doesn't count against your points. So you get a mulligan. You get to take the shot again. And then hopefully you'll hit it better that time. But in this case, I haven't only gotten a mulligan. I've gotten mulligans. Many chances. Time and time again. Because of God's mercy. Because of God's goodness. Because of his forgiveness and his grace. So then we've only learned one thing. Suleika and I. These young kids that don't know and the people that come and see, we were once like them. And as a matter of fact, it would be fair to say we still are. We're nothing but orphans that have been adopted into the family of God. And that has helped us become um, better communicators and forgiving. And like I said, over the years, I've come to learn and I'm still learning that family requires the following character attributes. Here are just a few. The first one I'd like to say is forgiveness. In order to have a successful family and a successful marriage, you must be a good forgiver. Amen? And let's see that in Matthew. We're going to go through a few verses. So if back there on your toes, <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. All right, so if you, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. <clears throat> Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a blessing. Forgiveness does nothing more, nothing less than bring healing to your heart, healing to your body, healing to your life. What we tell unforgivers is this. We say this. We say, guys, it requires a lot more effort to hold a grudge and to not forgive someone than to actually forgive that person. And you don't forgive them for them. You forgive them because first, that's what the Lord requires, and you forgive them for you. When you forgive someone, whether you were, it's not about right or wrong, it sets you free. It delivers you. And I, I love when R.T. Kendall was here years ago, and he says there's certain criteria, there's certain um, a thermometer to test if someone has forgiven or not. And some of those criteria are, well, if you keep talking about what happened, that's an indication that you have not forgiven. And then he also says that if 
if you constantly think about it all the time, that means there's still some unforgiveness in your heart. It doesn't mean that you won't remember and you'll never think about it. It just means constant. Or if you're not able to see that person and to treat them normal and you still are hoping that something bad happens to that person, that's an indication of non-forgiveness also. And sometimes, often, a lot of spouses, a lot of marriages end up in demise and divorce. They die. Why? Because of non-forgiveness. And that has a big part to do with pride, selfishness, and that's the number one cause, I'm convinced. Of course, without Christ being in the center, that's the number one thing that they need to have. But after even Christ, some people have a tough time forgiving. And that is a, a, a poison that will eat you and everybody else around you. So the answer today here is simply forgive. That without forgiveness, you cannot be part of a family. Because it's, if someone offends you, if someone does something wrong to you within your family, our family, right? How is it that you're going to be able to do this thing called life together if you still have bitterness towards that other person? You can't. You simply cannot. So it's not about being more mature. It's not about being the better person. It's about doing what Christ has called you to do, which is forgive. How do you forgive? Who knows? The way you forgive is you give it to God. You come to the cross and you say, God, I put this on the altar. Lord, I forgive. I purpose in my heart to forgive that person. We have the Lord's Supper here every month. And every month, I tell the Lord this. I say, Lord, if there's any, if there's any unforgiveness in my heart, please, I put it on the altar tonight. Maybe some unforgiveness that I don't even know I have. But I just want to make sure that I have nothing in there that's going to hinder me from connecting to your cross. So I'm constantly on that mode, which is clean my heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't let any bitterness, any unforgiveness enter into my heart. That's why I love King David. I love King David, but before, before we talk about Dave, I want to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is a great verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Turn to the person next to you and tell them new. All right, so first let me talk to the ladies a second really quick. How many of you ladies in here have gone and bought a brand new, crispy, leathered up, smelling coach purse, beautiful purse, and you brought it home? Come on, raise your hands. Anybody bought a new purse? It doesn't have to be coach, just a new purse. How many of you have gone and your nails are chipped? I'm married, so I know these things. And your nails are chipped, and, and, and you haven't done them in a couple of weeks, and you go and you do your fresh nails and your toes and your How does that feel? Ladies, come on. It's like us guys getting a clean haircut. We feel good. On the weekend, on Saturday, you come home with a clean haircut. Feels good. Brand new. Imagine God. Imagine Jesus. He forgives you. He makes you brand new. That means he forgave you. That means he's not going to hold a grudge on you. So why would we then hold a grudge on someone? If God, okay, you still haven't got. So imagine you come home to your house and your house is clean. The clothes are washed. 
they're folded, they smell good, and your house is clean, your bed is made, and you come home to a clean Lysol, clean, crispy, smelling house, who knows that that's the best feeling? You come home, and you hear the drizzle of the rain on a Saturday afternoon on your window. You order up some thin and crispy pizza from Domino's. You get a red box movie. You come home, and you're in a clean, good house. Oh, yeah, the best. That is, there's nothing like feeling that new. I love the word new. New is new. You get brand new sneakers. You put them on. Brand new sneakers. When you go on vacation, that was a tradition that me and my dear late friend Jose had. We would buy brand new sneakers, and we would go on vacation. What a good feeling to have those crispy Nikes on, and you have to buy the socks. So when you put those on, you feel brand new. Brother knows what I'm talking about. I'm just saying there's nothing like new. Well, Jesus does that for us. When you come to the repentance of the Lord Jesus Christ... You enter into his love. You enter into his forgiveness. You guys know what it feels like to be new with practical examples that I just gave you. Well, this is the same way that Christ does for us when we mess up time and time again. He who is without sin cast the first stone, right? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you yourself have a telephone pole in your eye? And it goes on and on. That's the message of the gospel. We're too caught up on the committees. Who knows what the committees are? Did you see what brother did? Did you see what she was wearing? Did you? Ugh. We forgot where we came from. We forgot how God made us new. We forgot how God forgave us. So when somebody does you wrong, even when it's a family member, please, church, listen. We must forgive because Christ forgave us. Non-forgiveness will eat you alive. It'll destroy you, and you'll never be able to move on. Second, communication is a key thing to have when you, need, when you want to have a successful family. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. If I can get your attention just for the next few moments, I know there's school tomorrow, and I'm trying to wrap it up. Communication is key in order to have a successful family. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. That just basically means when you're upset with someone and you have non-forgiveness, you don't want to talk to that person, and this happens a lot within the family, and you go off and you don't want to take anybody's phone call, you don't want to hear what anybody has to say, you're selfish. You don't want to hear anybody's judgment. You don't want to hear anybody's advice. That's because you're upset at something or somebody. So when you isolate yourself or you see somebody isolated, don't talk to me. And they're in the corner and they don't want to talk to anybody. And they got the angry eyes and the tap on the knee and the little bounce. They're upset. They're mad. They're isolated. They don't want to be touched or talked to. Now, I understand that sometimes people need a few moments to get over it as we say but eventually we need to come to that place where you could be approachable if someone comes to you don't be a porcupine that when you try to touch them you get pricked be open receptive a wise man receives a, co a correction and, and and instruction but a foolish person despises it so don't isolate when you isolate that's and, and it happens very subtle it doesn't happen 
Sometimes it happens subtle. It happens little by little where you don't even notice how you did it, how you ended up there, but it happens. You miss a service. Next thing you know, you're missing two services. And you come three in a row, feel better. Next thing you know, you miss a Sunday. Next thing you know, you don't show up anymore. Now you're on a two-month scenario where, no, no, eh, I'm watching fulanito on TV and I'm receiving the word and I read my devotional every morning. I'm busy at work. Leave me alone. It happens little by little. Don't think it just happens from one second to the next. The devil is very astute, like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. So take notice that communication is a key thing to do in order to have um, a successful family. So how do we even communicate sometimes? How do we communicate? Taking offense isn't part of a Christ-like character. Let's see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. No, no, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, is there therefore now no there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have a right to be offended. You should not be offended. Unless if someone talks bad about your authorities that are over your life, instead of unless if somebody you, you can take an offense, but there's a way to take an offense. There's a way to say, hey, if you're going to talk anything negative about my God or my pastors or the people that love me or my family, then you're talking bad about me. You better put them up because I'm not, gonna ha I'm not having it. I love you and I, and, I, and I forgive you, but there's a time to speak and a time to stay quiet. But we, at the end of the day, even those, the Bible says, love your enemies. Bless those who use you and curse you. Pray for those people. Easier said than done. I know. I've been there. But that's what the Bible says. Don't take matters into your own hands. The Bible says vengeance is mine. God is in control. And we have been taught and called to love those who are unlovable. For what benefit is it that you love those who love you back? We are called to love those who don't love you back. Like, for instance, let me tell you about it. The other day, I was in Publix. Or no, it was in the hospital, Baptist Hospital Emergency Room. I was there to visit someone. And I'm trying to get a parking space. Whoop, parking's right here. I put in the reversal, and I'm ready to back my car in. Can you believe that the guy in the F-150 pickup truck went and done got my parking really quick before I can back up into that thing? Man... Baptist Hospital, under construction for the last 30 years. There's never parking. You got to go to the garage and then walk five miles to get to where you're wanting to go. And then you're nervous that the person's not there anymore, so you're trying to hurry. What a mission. Listen, what do you do? I was about to, bzzz. hey, you took my parking. Did you not see my reverse? And you knew. And I was about to let the guy have it. But praise the Lord. Communication not getting upset, keeping a good testimony. I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Joey, you can do this. Praise the Lord. Let's just drive in the hot 105 degree weather, humidity, go into the parking garage and just find a parking space and just move on. 
But the guy took my parking space, man. That bothered me for like the next 30 minutes at least. And I'm still talking about it. So like I said earlier, I need to forgive that guy. God help me. But hey, no, we're all in this together. We're human beings. We're learning how to come to that place of communication, forgiveness, so that we can be successful within our family. If we're not successful within our family, then how can we help save other families? Suleika and I purposed in our heart. God called us to help save families. In fact, the name of our marriage ministry is Saving the Family. And we also are engaged in Save Your Marriage. And we see couples on a practically a daily basis. We were with a woman today speaking about communication. We were with her for two hours. And can you believe that she has not spoken to her husband in six weeks? And they live in the same house? And their kids are grown and out? I don't understand. How is that possible? Six weeks, they sleep in the same bed. They use the same house, the same front door, same parking lot. They don't talk to each other for six weeks. Nobody from this church, so stop looking around. It was an outside referral. We're just trying to help save that family. But I was like, Lord, have mercy. I couldn't believe it. Six weeks, what do you do? Crazy, no communication. And it's probably because the guy doesn't know how to come. In fact, I know that's why. Having heard what she was saying, the man does not know how to communicate. Either that or he's just scared of his wife. It could be one of the two. Probably a little bit of both. But if we stop loving and talking to each other with those people that we once called family, that isn't the character of Christ. I love what Tommy Barnett said a couple years ago in the Name Marriage Conference. Um, Phoenix First Assembly of Phoenix, uh, of Arizona. He said this. He said that he has friends that no matter what they've done and they've hurt him, he still considers them their, his friend. That once he calls them friend, that there's nothing that those people could do because they're his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He has forgiven them, and even if they've talked bad about him, even if they continue to talk bad about him, even if, they've used, if they're using him or if they've done him wrong, he will still be there for them if they call him because he's called them friend. He's purposed in his heart to say, that is part of my family because we have something in common. We serve the same Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to go down to that person's level. They are my friend. That person, there's nothing they could do for me to stop communicating. And let me tell you, that's something that I've developed and I've learned over these years. And finally, love, which I believe is the most important of all. John 15, 13. Let's see that really quick. <clears throat> Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. What does that mean? It means what it means. Lay down your life. Be there for one another. Love one another. Remember, we're going to get challenged as the family of Christ. We're going to get challenged at home. Here's what happens. If we don't love one another, if we don't forgive one another, we don't communicate, and we don't love one another, which just are three of many character attributes that you must have or attain to have a successful family. If we can't do these three main things, this is what will end up happening. Most people, and this is the sad thing to say, is that when their families are under, in trouble, 
or when they're not getting along with one another, they want to jump ship and go find another family. And that goes within their own household. They want to go for a divorce. They want to go and find another church to think that the grass is greener on the other side. Well, guess what? I have news for you. It is not greener on the other side. In fact, I want to tell you that's far from the truth. If you can't get along with the current family that you've been placed in now, trust me when I say you're not going to get along with the new family that you think you're going to attain. Too often I've spoken to men that are on their third, fourth marriage. If only I would have stayed with my first wife. Now I see she wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> to only now have an alimony payment, child support payment, you know, visiting, when am I going to visit that grandkid? And the, what a mess. That is not God's plan. That is a nightmare. That's a curse straight from the pit of hell. And that's the very thing that Suleika and I fight for every day is to help families not get engaged in that cycle that society wants to sell you. Get a quickie divorce for 350 bucks. Well, it'll be over, said and done, and you guys move on and everybody will be happy. Lie, lie, lie. That's not true. Like Pastor Kenny said on Sunday, which shared a phenomenal word. He says, the way that kids spell love is T-I-M-E. Today, for instance, I received a phone call by the chaplain of the University of Miami, a dear friend of mine, Steve. He calls me up and he says, Joey, would you like to preach this Friday at Shula's? Because I got the University of Pittsburgh and FIU coming down. They're going to have a football game. And I'd like you to come and share with the, with the university football teams. Would you do me that honor? And I said, man, Steve, I am so happy you have asked me for that. I am honored you asked me. I am so blessed. But here's the thing. I um, have already made plans. You see, my 13-year-old son just started his baseball season. And it's going to be his first game of the season at 8 o'clock on Friday night. And I've already asked our other youth pastor, Kenny, if he would share for me that Friday because I don't want to miss my son's baseball game. He said to me, Joey, you are a class act, man. My hat. This is exactly why I stayed connected to you all these years. That is what it's all about, man. I'm going to definitely continue to use you more than ever. You have just blown me away, and I am very, very, very impressed and happy, and I applaud you. This guy's already seasoned. He's old, and, and, I, and a dear friend of mine. So when, like in that movie, what is it called again? Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. You see why we need us men? You see, guys, why we need our wives? They help us remember. So irreplaceable, right? In the movie, you see the guy in the stands in the, in the football um, stadium. And he was saying something that really brought it home with me. This is what impacted me the most in this movie is when he said this. He said these words. He said, I can't tell you how many times I've heard professional athletes after they make a good play, they score a touchdown in the end zone. 80,000 fans to their feet roaring and screaming and paying all kinds of money. These guys have huge bank accounts, big cars, you name it. But there's one thing that these guys lack, and that's they're looking for their dad when they make that play. And not have their dad to make eye contact with when they make those extraordinary plays. That's how important it is for the fathers to be fathers. That's why we do what we do here in this house. 
James 1.27, be a father to the fatherless, widows and orphans. That's what God has called the church of Jesus Christ to do. That's what qualifies us to be considered a successful family when we do what God has called us to do. Let's read it. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We have over 30, equally probably more, widows and orphans in this house combined. And it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And we love what we do. It's not for our self-gratification. It's, it's because, like I said, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. That's why we love to do what God has called us to do. God cares more about your character than your works. God, at the end of the day, is looking for a heart. God is calling us to draw closer to him and to repent. It says that in Mark 1.15. In order to have the following Christ-like character, we must make it a point to repent and make Jesus the center of our homes. When Suleika and I got married, I remember how we couldn't believe how much we considered the church our family, and we still do. It, it goes back to what I was saying. The babysitters, I'll never forget the babysitters, Leanne. If you've babysat Joseph before, raise your hand. Look at this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> All I can say is that we've left Zoe and Joseph with our family. Enough said. And the thing is, Rosie, the thing is, Leanne, as a matter of fact, you all know that Joseph plays baseball. You know who's guilty for that charge? Leanne bought Joseph his first baseball bat. <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is that, and we'll get to this verse in a second, but they asked Jesus, hey, your mother, brothers, just want to talk to you. He says, who is my brother, brothers, and sisters? Those who do the will of my father in heaven. That's family. So the thing is, over the years, we have felt more comfortable, right, leaving our kids with people that love and fear the Lord than our so-called blood family. Does that make any sense? Who's been there? And the reason why we've done that is, and believe me, boy, these aunts and uncles, grandmas, and whoever have gotten super offended. But I'll just come out and say it with no disrespect towards my family. I'd rather have our kids, and we've worked too hard to raise up our kids in the ways of the Lord so that when they're older, they won't depart. We've worked too hard to leave our kids with unsafe family members, and then when we come back, a little bad word slipped. Whoops. Well, who did you hear that from? So-and-so. It's not going to happen. There's a price that you must pay, and it's very expensive. It'll cost relationships. It'll cost you a lot. But at the end of the day, it's what God has called you to. It's the price that you must pay. It's who you consider your family and who you want to keep company with. <clears throat> I can remember Thanksgivings, holidays, all these important times of our lives that show up. Hey, I think a couple of Christmas at Palma's house. Another Easter at Julieta and Rose house, another holiday at, you know, pastor's house and Maggie's house. And 
the Amitas house, and I can't tell you how many Thanksgivings we've spent with them. The thing is, this is our family, Richard and Charles, George, Stephanie. It goes on and on. And these important, what do you mean you're not coming over? Well, the reason why I'm not coming over is because we're going to have Tio Pepe over there smoking a cigarette, saying bad words, drinking beer, and then our kids are going to be exposed and they're going to be like, well, if you can hang out with so-and-so, then why can't I hang out with? And that's not going to happen. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Let me clear it up. I'm not saying for you not to talk to your family members. I'm not saying for you not to have fellowship with them ever. I'm not saying for you never to call them on the holidays or never visit them, but use judgment. Ask God, God, what would you have me do? As a matter of fact, if you never talk to them, how would you ever win them to the Lord? You just need to use wisdom when and how and have a balance. Amen? Because God, after all, they are your family. And God didn't call to turn your back on your family and treat them bad and ignore them either. Okay, that's immature and unnecessary. But you know your limits. So tonight, can I please introduce to you my family? Would you guys allow me to do that tonight? I want to do that really quick. Just bear with me, okay? Suleika, can you come up here a second? Joseph, can you come up? Can you guys get Zoe really quick? Adriana, come here. Juju, can you come up here? Chavelin, Richard, Tiffany. As a matter of fact, can you all stand up for a second? May I please introduce you to my family, you guys. Look next to one another. You might be looking next to you saying, man, I don't look anything like this guy. Well, look closer. God created man in the perfection of his own image, in his likeness. Can't you see the resemblance? I look just like this guy. He looks, well, he does look. Uh, some of you might be saying, thank God he looks more like his mama. That's what I say. We are the family of Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Yeah, you can sit down. Thank you. If we can have the musicians come forward as we close tonight. I believe that tonight we spoke about not only family, but we've talked about God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace, and his love. And I am so blessed to be in a house with a pastor that loves family. Super blessed. And joys to my heart. Not only am I blessed for that, but I'm also blessed for the leaders that God has placed here. I'm also blessed for you guys that are here. For the servants, for the families, for the brothers, the sisters that I have. That I know that are there for us. The stories are endless. 21 years. Some of us have been walking together here for 21 years. And the ones that have come recently. Have you ever met a Christian somewhere when you're traveling or wherever? 
and you meet that person for the first time and they're a Christian and they love the Lord and you know the Lord and you feel like if you've known that person forever, hasn't that happened to you before? You know why? Because they're part of the same family. We have a lot in common. We're connected. We have a common denominator and it's called Jesus Christ. Let's stand tonight. And tonight I want to give a chance. And I know some of you may have been or have felt a little disconnected, a little isolated. You can be, how many of you know that you can be in a room with a bunch of people and still feel alone? You can even be in a household with a bunch of people and feel alone. But that's not what God wants. He wants you to feel like you have a family because you do have a family. All you need to do is make Jesus the center of your life. All you need to do is lift your eyes up to the heavens. I want to read here really quick where it says, King David, how King David cried out to the Lord. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 24 verse 8 really quick. 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out to the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stopped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Let's see in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 20. 1 Chronicles 29, 20. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their knees and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And the last verse I want to share is in Revelation chapter 7 verse 11. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. You look in the word of God in the Bible, Joshua, David, most of the men of God, Jesus himself when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, threw himself on the ground with his face to the ground before a mighty loving God. A God that is above every name. Crying out to the Lord saying, God, if you don't help me, if you don't get me to where I need to be to be part of this family, I don't know what I'm going to do. This cup is too big, too much for me. I, I take this cup from me. I can't forgive. Lord, I can't communicate with this person, my brother or sister, or whoever. Within the house of God even. Listen, it's not about who's winning the argument. It's about getting right before the Lord. Because you want to please the Lord and you want to please our Lord Jesus. Let's close our eyes. If you're there tonight and you want to be a part of the family of God, 
You want to be adopted into that family. You want to be, you want to know, you just want to feel brand new. You want to be a part of that family and do this thing called life together as the family of God right there where you're at. Lift your hands to the heavens and cry out to the Lord and say, God, meet me where I'm at. Look at my heart, Father. Touch me, Father God. Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I just want to be a part of your family, Lord. Thank you for adopting me into your family, Lord God. Thank you for making me a part of your church, a part of your family, Lord. As we sing this song, just continue to pray to the Lord and ask God to minister to your heart. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. 